All of the newest episodes of Note to Self are now available on the Luminary Podcast app. It's free to download, and you can also listen to other podcasts from WNYC Studios like Radiolab, Two Dope Queens, Snap Judgment, Here's the Thing with Alec Baldwin, and others. Luminary Premium is the only place where you can enjoy the entire new season of Note to Self, plus new original podcasts you won't find anywhere else from Trevor Noah, Roxanne Gay, Guy Raz, Lena Dunham, and many more. And you can enjoy them ad-free. Start your free trial by going to luminary.link slash note to self or download the Luminary app for free. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hello, friend. This is an episode of Note to Self, but from when we used to be called New Tech City. Same good content, just the old name. Enjoy. It's just there's such a disparity, there's such a gap in, in the amount of attention you're getting, phone versus private one-on-one, even in a class where there's 20 people. I'm still walking around and I see, like, you know, your knees are buckling, your shoulders are rounding. You know, it's small things like that. So you can't replicate having the person in front of you watching everything you're doing factor. You can't replicate that on a phone. So that's why I'm not worried about it. From WNYC, this is New Tech City, where digital gets personal. I'm Anoush Zamarodi, and this week, it's about the personal choices we're making every day, choosing between people and technology. Last week, New Tech City was about a digital assistant. Her name was Amy. And this artificial intelligence software could put thousands of real assistants out of work. But for one entrepreneur, very busy entrepreneur, this robot was a savior. I've been in heaven, honestly. I'm just really grateful that I can have that time back now to be productive and not be doing just mundane tasks that are adding zero value to, to my company. He's in heaven. But the idea of Amy, of using a digital assistant, it got me thinking about some of the people in my neighborhood who probably won't be around in like five to ten years. There's a knock at the door. Every month, this guy still walks through our living room, waves to my kids eating waffles in the kitchen, and heads down into our basement to read the gas meter. I walk outside and I pass the last travel agent in the area, a little stucco storefront with a blue sign and the word travel written in an exotic font, or what must have been considered an exotic font. I walk past this shop every single day and I have never been inside. Then there's the appliance repair store that specializes in high-end German vacuums. There's this obnoxious cockatoo in a big cage in the back right next to the replacement vacuum bags. And I still buy my vacuum bags there because the owner once diagnosed a problem with my German vacuum, and he had the part I needed in stock. I am forever grateful. These are the people in my neighborhood. Most likely, they will be replaced by sensors, websites, apps, and Amazon. Because those digital things are more convenient, they're cheaper, they're easier, less friction is how they say it in tech, than dealing with a human being. In fact, a study done at Oxford last year estimates that 47% of all U.S. employment is at risk. Automation in the form of robots, machinery, and just computer programs, they could put all kinds of people out of work. 
Author Nick Carr says it's our responsibility to start thinking more carefully about what ratio of robot to human we want in our lives every day. In his book, The Glass Cage, Automation and Us, Nick says we're putting our own skills and our brains at risk when we choose technological convenience. Human beings have always lived their lives with technology. That's what sets us apart from other animals is that we're really good at designing and using tools. But in ways that we sometimes don't see, the technologies, particularly computer technologies that become our medium for socializing and for taking in information, they really do increasingly shape our experience of life. Automation used to be about production processes. And now more and more we're automating experience, giving over to computers roles in really our moment-by-moment lives. Uh, How do you feel about the autocomplete possibility that your phone kind of knows what you're going to write so it makes some suggestions for you? You know, on the one hand, because typing on your phone in particular is kind of not very pleasant, that it's good that, you know, we have autocomplete of the words we're going to use. But then you look at, for instance, the new brand new iPhones. It's gone from completing each individual word as you start typing it to, as Apple explains, guessing what the entire sentence is going to be and also shaping the sentence to who you're writing to. So if you're writing to your spouse, the computer will suggest a sentence in a particular tone of voice. If you're writing to your boss, it'll give you a different. At that point, it starts to feel like we're giving away too much, something very intimate about how we formulate our thoughts, formulate our communication. And if we do that purely to save a few seconds, it seems like that's a good example of trading important qualities of life, intimacy, close personal relations, to expediency, which computers are good at, and efficiency. And to me, it's a good example of how you can go too far with automation without even thinking about it. I mean, I'm just learning more about this right now. The machine-breaking movement, the origins of the word Luddite were actually – they were real people. They were Luddites, the Luddite rebellion. Can you just tell me that story about them? The 1700s is when factory automation, factory mechanization, machines came into factories. And one place that was very quickly mechanized was the whole textile industry, so weaving, knitting, and so forth. Up until then, this had been a very community-based, small-scale industry. People would work in their own towns, in their own houses and stuff. And and they were great craftspeople. And so, of course, they felt threatened by suddenly these big factories setting up where you could run these machines without any talent whatsoever. And basically, they saw the writing on the wall. And so that led to what was called the machine-breaking movement where these craftspeople would go in at night or whatever and break the machines. Legend has it that these machine breakers took their name from their leader, a fiery weaver named Ned Ludd. Okay, back to the rioting. That came to a head in the early 1800s with the Luddite movement in the midsection of England, where a large number of these people became kind of a guerrilla army and went in and in destroyed the machines. The British army was called out and really crushed them (laughs) mercilessly. It was kind of a huge battle. A lot of them were killed, a lot of them put in jail. And we've come to use Luddite as simply a term of disparagement, that it's anybody who blindly resists technology. And even though you can certainly take issue with the Luddites' tactics and their violence and stuff, they weren't attacking the machines so much as trying to defend their ways of life, their communities, their jobs, their crafts. So you see both heroism in the Luddites as well as other qualities. That, a sadness a almost. A sadness, yeah. yeah. Because 
in retrospect, they were doomed and they probably used tactics that actually were counterproductive to their cause. I do think we can take a positive lesson from the Luddites instead of just using them as a word of insult. I mean, what they did is they thought about how is this technology going to affect my experience of life, that of my family? And if after doing that analysis, I come up to the conclusion that actually it's going to erode the quality of my life, then I kind of have an obligation to resist it, to not give away to technological momentum. And if as consumers of technology, as users of technology, we become more critical in that fashion, then we may force the writers of software, the producers of gadgets to actually create the kinds of technology that are more humane, more humanistic, more in tune with what gives pleasure and satisfaction and meaning to people's lives. In a minute, more from Nick Carr and the app that you probably use every day that he has sworn off. There was some strong reaction to last week's show about Amy, the digital personal assistant. And those of you who wrote us seem to like her, really like her. Ryan Stasi emailed us saying, All I could think through the whole piece was how desperately I wanted to get Amy. So yes, please, as in yes, very much, yes, and more, yes. Okay, Ryan, there is a waiting list for Amy. We have the link to the site at newtechcity.org. Lewis Erskine also emailed us, wondering if he told Amy that he actually hated a person he was supposed to meet with, could she make polite excuses on his behalf? Like say, sorry, Lewis needs to postpone. Thanks for understanding. We'll be in touch. Ooh, that would be good, Lewis. I like that. The only really critical comment we got was from someone who was on the receiving end of Amy, someone who got an email from her. Michelle Dozois tweeted at us and she said, had to tell a friend who was trying to use Amy to make Amy shut up and get out of my inbox. Okay, Michelle, lesson learned. It's only okay to use a scheduling robot that saves you time if it also saves your friend's time. If you have other rules for adopting automation in your life, tell us in the comment section of this show or email us at newtechcity at wnyc.org. Or better yet, record a voice memo on your phone and send it to us. Coming up, what Nick Carr thinks of Amy. And I talked to someone in my life about whether his job could be automated too. Until you can get a holographic image coming out of your phone of a person like pointing and yelling at you, it doesn't worry me. We're back. It's New Tech City. I'm Anoush Samarodi. So earlier, I mentioned this report that was done at Oxford last year. The researchers ranked 702 jobs from least likely to most likely to be automated in the future. Okay, so the number one least likely job to be automated, recreational therapist. The most likely, telemarketers and title examiners. So bad news for you title examiners out there. I'm sorry. Personal assistant was pretty high up there. It was in the top third of jobs likely to be done by a robot or computer program in the future. I asked Nick Carr, the author of The Glass Cage, Automation and Us, whether he would use Amy or any other digital assistant. I would resist hiring Amy, and not only because I think that we are too quick to diminish and demean human labor – to kind of assume that if there's anything we can hand off to a computer, then we should go ahead and do it. It seems to me that's a mistaken idea. 
And also because I know that if you have a actual person as your assistant, that person may have an interesting thought. That person may be able to think critically and make a suggestion or deal with an unexpected issue in a humane, interesting way. The computerized assistant is going to be very good at routine tasks but is going to treat everything as a routine task because we're still a long way from actually having conscious feeling computers. So it's very easy to just start making these decisions based on the criteria that computers are actually good at, you know, speed, efficiency things and kind of underestimate what human beings are actually really good at, which which tends to be things you can't measure. It's subtle things. So, you know, even though I think there are certainly times when we should automate stuff, I've kind of shifted my own view to first resist a little bit and question the decision and then if it makes sense and then go ahead. Are there any things in your life right now that you have decided to – maybe shun is too strong a word – but have decided, you know what, like you're saying as a consumer, that you've decided I would like to retain my autonomy with this and therefore I am saying no? Well, one thing in, in this – is the use of GPS or the use of Google Maps to get from point A to point B when I need to get somewhere. And if you go anywhere, you just turn on the GPS and let the computerized voice guide you. And in particular, as I was doing research for The Glass Cage, it became clear to me how valuable a talent navigation skill is and how it might even be tied into our the strength of our memory. And, and it's this kind of ancient, deep way we have of, of figuring out where we are and how to get from one place to another, and I think ultimately gives us a sense of place. And so I've decided whenever possible, I'm not going to use any kind of computer mapping tool. I'm going to take the time to figure out where I am and where I'm going. And I'll sometimes get lost. I'll sometimes you know, be a little slower in getting somewhere, but I'm going to end up with some navigational skill and with a better sense of place and just be more in touch with my surroundings. And, and it seems to me that that's a trade-off worth making. That was author Nick Carr. And all of us these days, as customers, we make choices, right? To go online and buy insurance or visit a living, breathing insurance agent. To bother mailing out Christmas cards that a postman will deliver or opt for a holiday email blast. Usually we choose what's fastest, easiest. But maybe once in a while we don't. Like me. Recently... I went with the analog option precisely because it was harder and less convenient. Okay, so just so I have it, tell me your full name and how you <laughs> refer to yourself. Uh, Nick Vargas, how I've heard myself. I don't know. Like trainer, Nick okay. Vargas. Okay, <laughs> Okay, yes, that's my personal trainer. Please don't mock me. It was a long road to find my way back to fitness after having two children personal trainer, by the way, comes in at 164 on the list of jobs that won't be done by a human in the future. So Nick's future isn't too bleak. He's less likely to be automated than an embalmer or a librarian, but more likely to be automated than a game warden or floral designer. Anyway, I started training with Nick over the summer. I would say it was around June. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, I think it was June. And this was after I started wearing a fitness tracker, which revealed how much I was sitting on my butt. But before I discovered there are so many amazing fitness apps out there. And warm up. Let's do a brisk walk. 
Seriously, like amazing fitness apps out there. And I'm going to make you pound pavement till you can do a full five clicks. I particularly like the seven-minute workout, which lets you switch to a digital trainer with an Irish accent. Three, two, one, start jumping jacks. Yeah, and it crossed my mind, and I feel disloyal just even saying this, but why should I choose man, expensive man, over machine? So I have to ask, like, you know, since the advent of the thing I'm holding right now, the smartphone, there's people are using apps to get fit. I mean, there's so many apps for personal trainers. Does that worry you at all? It doesn't worry me because I think there's definitely a, there is a personal touch lacking in the phone. Uh, There are specific things that I do that I just don't think that can be automated. And I also think there's a lot to be said for just the relationship of client-trainer. And uh, after a few sessions, I I know what works. I know what doesn't work. I know how to motivate. uh, And and something that's a little bit like a one-size-fits-all doesn't really do that. So how do you motivate me? How do I motivate you? Uh, Well, I know that... I know that you, and I don't want to give it away because (laughs) (laughs) because it's secret for you, Uh right? So it's secret for every client uh, because I use it. And for you, it's more like you want to you want to know that you're improving and progressing, uh, and that your form is getting better. What do other people like? Uh, You know, some people like to beat their reps and beat their time. That's like the whole CrossFit thing. Some people are really don't really care about if they're improving at all. They just want to make sure that their their arms are getting a little more ripped up, like in tones. Yeah, like you know, they just want to focus on a certain thing. Some people just don't care at all. They just want to come in and have me yell at them for an hour, <laughs> and that's fine. Nick's not only got my number when it comes to getting me to push myself. He's also, like, a really interesting guy. He has schooled me on World of Warcraft. He lent me an old copy of a Philip K. Dick anthology. He's the one who clued me into the Reddit discussion going on about Serial and the other Asian girl who was murdered in Baltimore. Sorry about that. So for now, I think I have found my fitness sweet spot. It's a combination of human and digital coaching that works for me. Yes, it's on the expensive side, but I think my new butt is worth it. Just please don't ask why I won't give up my Amazon Prime membership, okay? Nobody's perfect. So next week, let's talk about your Facebook feed or Twitter or whatever. Since the Ferguson decision, maybe you've noticed a few posts that you might call racist or race-baiting. Things have gotten kind of tense, huh? But should we unfriend the people who are posting political views that rub us the wrong way? And if we block out people we disagree with, isn't that just self-segregating? We'll get advice from experts on where race dialogue fits into Facebook. How do you deal with hard conversations on your feed? Have you got it figured out? We want to know. Tell us what's going on on your Facebook feed. Send us a message or better yet, record a voice memo and email it to us at newtechcity at WNYC.org. It might end up on next week's show. Get it automatically by subscribing at newtechcity.org or on Stitcher or iTunes. And when you're there, please leave us a rating and a review. Seriously, it makes a huge difference when it comes to the iTunes rankings and the bosses who care about that stuff. I will thank you in advance. And just before we go, unlike a lot of podcasts, we don't usually do credits at the end of the show because we know you're busy, all right? But this week, I want to do a proper shout out to the New Tech City team, Alex Goldmark, Andrew Dunn, our intern Hannah Newman, Jim Schachter, and starting this week, a new member, Ariana Tobin. Yay! 
You're going to like her, listeners. I just know it. I'm Anoush Samarodi. This is New Tech City, and I'll see you next week. There's a motivation prompt that I have turned off. Tell me I can do it. Side lunge. Don't lunge too deep. Use your arms to help balance. (laughs) I don't want to be motivated.